0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Blog Talk Radio.
2: Welcome to episode 282 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast for Thursday, November 1st, 2012. On tonight's show, a variety of topics. You know when you have a plan and then something else happens? Well, uh, this show adapts, let me tell you. Uh, coming up tonight will be conversations with two great people. The first conversation happened just hours ago uh, that I could not hold off until another show. Uh, Lisa Fields, also known on Twitter as Practical Wisdom, will be talking about her love of the Twitter chats and her mission to improve people's PowerPoint slides. Also a conversation with the host of the Lost in Pre-Med podcast, Will. will be here to talk about the, his breakout podcast and the voice of the undergraduate slash pre-medical student and also to start off the show in just a few minutes some reflections on this past week's Hurricane Sandy and the social media response to this episode 282 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast starts right now. Show that is passionate about medicine and social media This is the Family Medicine Rocks Podcast I'm your host, my name is Mike Sevilla Family Medicine's talk show host I don't know, it kind of makes sense, I have no idea Hey, what is this show about? Uh, this show is by a family physician For the growing family medicine community Of which you are now a part of just by listening to this show Yes, that's right kids I invite you to check out my digital library of stuff at familymedicinerocks.com. Shout-out to all the people following me on Twitter. I don't know why, but I'm very much appreciative of that. All 10,467 of you out there for following me. Thank you so much for that. Also, big shout-out to everybody who likes the Facebook page for this show. It is all 599 of you. So knocking at the door of 600 people who like the Facebook page for this show Thank you so much for that. Today is Thursday, uh, November 1st, 2012. It is 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the last time I can say that before this weekend. Uh, and here at Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters, it is 36 degrees Fahrenheit. That's right. A little chilly out here, kids, uh, this week. And uh, how's your week going? I haven't done podcasts in a little while, and I want to thank everybody again for all the downloads for this show, um, listens to this show and uh um your support of uh, me and my uh, social media projects. I very much appreciate all of that and I saw something very interesting this week, uh, um, on television. I saw David Letterman, um, on the Jimmy Kimmel live show uh, this week. And, uh, uh, for people who don't know, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I, uh, had a dream of kind of doing my, uh, a little, uh, little itty bitty talk show, uh, like this, uh, or, uh, you know, watching uh, people like Johnny Carson and uh, David Letterman uh, growing up and, uh, uh, it was kind of cool seeing that moment there uh, with uh, Letterman and Kimmel uh, this weekend. If you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. You can uh, check that out. That was kind of funny, kind of awkward. Um, and uh, those of you who have been you know, watching late-night television for a long time, i, I appreciate that. Uh, but on this show here uh, tonight, uh, we're going to have uh, three uh, main uh, topics here coming up. Uh, uh, coming up in a few minutes, I'm going to be sharing some thoughts and some stories about the Hurricane Sandy. Uh, and who's still having effects uh, here uh, in the uh, eastern and midwestern uh, United uh, States. I'll have some thoughts about that. Um, Also earlier today, I had a a great conversation uh, with my new Twitter friend, uh, Lisa Fields, and everybody knows her on Twitter as Practical Wisdom. And if you've ever been on a Twitter chat before, you know that she is involved with a lot of them. Uh, very active on that and she's a live tweeter at meetings uh, as well and and i recorded an interview with her just hours ago and i could not wait to share that with all of you so that's going to be coming up in a little bit uh and also in this show here this evening a conversation with the host of the lost in pre-med podcast his name is will smith no not that will smith uh but uh the uh, that, that uh, uh, interview was recorded a few weeks ago, and I apologize. I haven't had a chance to get that out there and share that with all of you. Uh, and I'll do that during this show here this evening. Uh, but first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for having me be a featured host on this network. Thank you so much for that. I've, I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005. And if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. That's right. I am a Family physician in full time private practice. Uh, meeting I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in my office uh, here in beautiful but chilly here, northeastern Ohio. So uh, I will take my break, and uh, the first topic coming up right after the break will be uh, this week's uh, Hurricane Sandy and uh, uh, some stories related to that and the social media response. Uh, to that. Uh, very, very interesting to watch that uh, out there on the internet uh, this week. You're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution. What is that? Just Google FM Revolution for more details. And also a proud member of the Pro Med Network of Podcasts. You can get there by going to promednetwork.com. And we we'll will be right back. We're at Family Medicine's leading voice in social media. In my own mind, this is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. At the beginning of November 2012, my name is Mike Cipolla. So the first topic here uh, this evening uh, is uh, this uh, what they're calling Hurricane Sandy, tropical storm, superstorm, whatever you want to call it, uh, the storm. Uh, if you saw the satellite images from earlier this week, encompassed most of the East coast of the United States, well, actually most of the Eastern United States, uh, including right here in the Midwestern area of the uh, United States. Uh, and it affected a lot of people, uh, you know, this past uh, week. Um, and I don't want to maximize or minimize uh, any of that. Um, you know, originally our good friend, uh, um, and, and really a uh, medicine's leading voice in social media. Kevin, Fo. Kevin MD was scheduled to be on this show here this evening. And we were in contact over the past, uh, uh, five to seven days. And, uh, we, we, uh, we tried to, uh, you know, get the, get him on the show, but, uh, obviously, you know, where he's at and, um, in that region of the country, there, are, uh, obviously a lot of still, still a lot of people, um, you know, without power um and a lot of damages uh to people's homes um there have been some deaths reported uh, as well and uh, you know certainly our uh, our thoughts and prayers um are with all of those uh, people um affected uh, up and down the eastern uh, seaboard Um, Of the uh, United States, Uh, but there are a couple of angles that I wanted to uh, talk about on on the show uh, here this evening, Uh, and uh, one of them is the story that has been uh, circulating over the past uh, few days in in New York City that I wanted to share with you. Some of you, many of you in healthcare, uh, have probably heard of this story, and it's even crossed over to the uh, uh, kind of to the mainstream uh, media. uh, Is this uh, evacuation um, of New York University's uh, Medical Center. Uh, And I'm going to share a story here uh, with you. Uh, This is from uh, Yahoo News that was just posted uh, a few hours ago, four or five um, hours ago. And you can go to uh, yahoo.com. And here's the title of the story, Surviving Sandy, an inside story of the NYU hospital evacuation. I'm going to read segments of this story here if you haven't heard it already. It starts like this. Hurricane Sandy hadn't made landfall yet, but the winds were howling and the rain was torrential in New York by Monday evening. And uh, uh, a nurse uh, manager in the Bronx decided to sleep at the hospital that night after a full day of work around midnight. She went to sleep bracing for what she knew would be a busy Tuesday. She had no idea how busy an hour later around 1 a.m., the frantic call came. The backup generator power at nearby New York University's Lagone Medical Center had failed. Their staff needed to transfer some babies from their neonatal intensive care unit and fast. Montefiore was also accepting 21 adult patients from other hospitals, a scenario being repeated all around New York as Sandy wrecked her havoc transferring babies especially those born premature is especially delicate they said preemies have certain things you watch for she says their eyes for instance must be closely monitored for signs of a retinopathy of prematurity or ROP an eye condition that can turn serious and require surgery we have to keep them warm the nurse said Their breathing must also be monitored constantly. Premature babies can often forget to breathe on their own. Their staff agreed to take four. They rallied their nursing staff and consulted with the staff doctors on how to accomplish this feat. I have a staff of 80, they said, who was uh, certified in neonatal nursing. That night, only 11 were working the night shift. Um... And the babies arrived at 3.15 a.m. and 3.30. At the same time, they were delivering another baby. There was more drama. The staff had arrived with two extra babies, and they needed to find space for them. That would need a total census of 41, well above the usual count for their unit. We ended up waking up nurses who had gone to sleep. The staff had been up since 7 a.m., and now this was close to 4 a.m., The staff wrestled with how to accommodate two more preemies. They looked at the faces of the staff who had engineered the transfers and some of the parents who had made the trick with them. These people had been taking babies out down dark steps for hours, they said. We were all exhausted. Their decision to absorb the extra babies was also made easier when she thought of the parents. They were already stressed out by having babies born too soon, of course. They were terrified about the lack of power at the hospital, next they had to cope with their babies being transferred to a place they probably knew nothing about, and they didn't know if they could trust. How now could she tell their babies that they could not be transported again? We decided to absorb the extra babies. So Let's keep them. These people need relief. The parents need relief. After all these decades, the neonatal ICU is clearly still a special place to her. These babies, they're there for so long we take care of their families, not just the babies. As soon as the babies were safely admitted, the nurses started to nurse their own colleagues. We have The Lagone nurses and doctors, we gave them juice and cookies, they said. We told them, sit down and eat. This nurse uh, has been a a nurse since 1976. The camaraderie that exists among health care workers is just incredible. Even after the transfer, nurses from both hospitals continued to work together. One of the moms whose babies had been transferred worried about her breast milk in the freezer at the other hospital. The team called the, the other hospital. The medical center was still in the dark. Even, the, even so, a nurse at NYU was going to walk over and see if she could get the milk. In the end, it was impossible, but the mother is not likely to forget that effort. So this is just one of the many, many stories that are, have been coming out in the media in the past uh, few days. It's just incredible hearing the stories following this storm and and other um, uh, you know weather tragedies out there. These are the stories that you know that that should you know get covered and and should get talked about and you know we should you know appreciate not only you know healthcare staff but first responders and and everybody who is you know making efforts. Um, to get people the help that they need, and this came up today when when i uh, uh talked with uh, my new friend uh, lisa fields practical wisdom and and uh you know we talked about um some of the efforts uh that are going on out there and i 'm going to just play just a small you know one minute uh segment uh, i 'll play the full interview later in the show but um in this in this uh, small segment here we we talk about um Someone on Twitter called Healthcare Wen Wen Dombrowski uh, MD, and and she's out in that area out there. And and uh, um, here's a little bit of a snippet of uh, what Lisa Field said earlier today. You
0: know, like I uh, we share a friend, Wen Dombrowski. Yes, that's her name. Out, but she's Healthcare Wen, and she's a physician. And for the last day since the hurricane happened in New York City. She is volunteering her time and she's putting out tweets, please help. We need physicians. Please help. We need diapers for adults. Please help. Um, I have, I know, you know, just from the emergency standpoint, it's so very important. Um, I know stories that help me when um, I'm doing a speech somewhere. I know who I can call to, to give me some help. Um, I know Quilty Muriel is 92 years old and is hilarious, and she's also um, in New York City and went through the hurricane, and so when things were getting so dire and dark, you didn't want to say anything funny, but she would put something out that would bring a smile, even to my friend Wen, who is out there volunteering in probably the most horrible conditions, brought a smile to, to her face. Um, and so that community becomes larger.
2: And you know, a lot of people are doing a lot of great work out there. But but I did want to I did want to give a big shout out to uh, you know healthcare when follow her on Twitter. Also check out her Storify, um, Storify dot com slash healthcare when. And for people who are not familiar with that, uh, what Storify is, is is people are able to um, save their tweets or, or group their tweets out there for for people to to review and and to uh, uh and to read um and what uh what Dr. Dombrowski did uh, healthcare went on twitter um she has a section called uh, hurricane sandy tweets and uh it was uh you know it's, it's just incredible you know reviewing some of this reading some of this i saw pieces and parts of this um over the past I don't know, 24 hours or so, but, uh, but she, uh, you know, took the work to group them um, together. And uh, even now, uh, you know, she is out there tweeting, asking people for help, updating people, saying we need this, we need that. And, and, uh, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, disaster relief and and, uh, um, educating people and letting people know what is uh, out there, it is people like Dr. Dombrowski that are, that are out there, um, you know, getting that information out there. And, 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 you know, we're going to talk about, you know, a uh, Twitter chats here in a little bit, but, you know, that, that's one of the things that, that we talk about um, in Twitter chats is, you know, how can the Twitter community, how can uh, social media help update people on on not only what's going on, but ty- trying to coordinate some of the um, relief um, that is needed, um, you know, you know, trying to, to let um, resources know, let people know first responders know or or um, you know uh, let let healthcare um, professionals know physicians providers, you know we need people in this area uh, to to help out or first responders go to this area um, that's kind of the power of social media there to to help get that information out quicker than what could be done through. You know, traditional means or you know means that have been done in the past, basically television and traditional radio and things. And and uh, there was also a an article um, from Mashable. Uh, dot com that was just posted uh, called uh, "Sandy's Digital Refugees Seek Wi Fi Access." And in this age of digital media, in this age of social media, now you know you know people are connected. You know, people need that Wi-Fi connection. People need that digital connection um, to communicate with loved ones, to communicate with authorities, to communicate with whomever they need to communicate with. Um, and this is an interesting article here from Mashable talking about um, Sandy's digital refugees um, and, uh, and Wi-Fi access. Now, uh, when it comes to the relief effort, you know, there there is, you know, you know the Americans and and those in the United States. I mean, we do a great effort at at, at you know at at, uh, at giving and donating donating our time, donating finances, resources to to those in need. And um, you know you know since this is a family medicine podcast, I want to just kind of highlight a couple of things that that family medicine organizations are doing. Um, and one that just uh, came up today from our friends at the. Uh, um, Pennsylvania Academy of uh, Family Physicians, uh, our good friends uh, out there. And uh, they uh, have a website um, that's called uh, Teespring, T E E Spring dot com. And it's a place where uh, you make a donation uh, for a a t shirt. Uh, And uh, the site is called Family Physicians for Sandy. Relief, and uh, it is a it is a great uh, T-shirt that has uh, on the front um, kind of a stethoscope, and at the end of the stethoscope is a heart, um, and on the back is the logo of the Pennsylvania Academy of uh, Family Physicians. If you want to check that out, um, you can go to this link, uh, bitly b i t dot l y slash a f p sandy. And they are working with, uh, you know, our national organization, the American Academy of Family Physicians Foundation. Um, But that's a creative thing uh, that our friends in uh, Pennsylvania are doing. Um, And, uh, you know, our national organization, the American Academy of Family Physicians, our foundation has always been an organization that that helps to coordinate relief um, for for those in need. And if you want to get more information about that, I encourage you to go to bit.ly, B-I-T. Uh, dot l y slash a a f p relief and uh, that will get you uh to the a uh, a f p foundation site so i encourage all my friends uh, in, in the family medicine revolution um, all the family docs out there all the members of the american academy of family physicians uh you know i know that you're already giving already uh, but th- these are just a couple of other opportunities for you uh to donate uh and to to give uh to those in need um especially following uh, sandy uh, and uh, it's always great to kind of seeing the response uh to uh what is uh what is out there so uh I want to thank everybody for for all their efforts that they're doing you know wh- whatever you're doing to to raise awareness to donate uh to 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 give whatever you can or even just your thoughts and prayers to all of those who have been affected by hurricane slash superstorm sandy. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we take a little bit of a break, and uh, following the break here we uh, will be uh, my uh, full conversation uh, today uh, with my new Twitter friend, uh, Lisa Fields, also known as Practical Wisdom um, on Twitter. And we had a very exciting uh, conversation, and actually, well, I'll tell you when, when we come back from the break, but really, we had a, a really uh, cool uh, conversation, and I will share that um, right after this. On the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. My name is uh, Mike Savella, and uh, we will be right back. social media through the eyes of a family physician this is the family medicine rocks podcast at the beginning of november 2012 my name is uh, mike savilla uh so our next segment of the show here i'm going to i'm going to be playing a, a conversation that just happened mere hours um, ago and uh um we'll be uh, uh chatting with uh, lisa fields also known as practical wisdom uh, on uh, twitter and uh i, I met uh I met Lisa uh on some of the many twitter chats uh that are out there that we'll get to in our uh, conversation uh, and she just uh you know she you know, we talked about it. she's gonna kill me, but but yeah you know, she she's so nice she she she's so nice, she's so giving uh she gives great feedback, she gives great content out there and if you don't know her um and uh, you should uh, especially if you're out there on the Twitter chat, she's very active out there on that. Um, and uh, she's got a LinkedIn page that I encourage you to uh, uh, to check out. It's linkedin.com slash IN slash M S. and uh, that's her uh, LinkedIn uh, site. And you can also uh, – she has a website, uh, com and there's more information about her uh, there. Uh, and uh, why don't we just uh, kind of get to it here, and if I can find – let me find this link here. <laughs> I'm – messing up here uh so uh here is uh my uh conversation with practical wisdom lisa fields here on the family medicine rocks podcast and uh, on the line with us is uh one of my newest twitter friends uh, you know her as practical wisdom uh, on twitter and we'll get to the twitter conversation a little bit because i know uh, i'm very excited about that but we have lisa fields here with us thank you so much for the time Thanks Mike. Uh so so for people who may not know you uh, as well, um what is kind of your connection with health healthcare social media? Tell us a little bit about your story.
0: Okay. Um I was a clinician and I worked in the field of addiction for many years and um I also worked in the field of mental health and I also was a vocational rehabilitation counselor. And I loved those positions. But in the state of North Carolina, many or most of those physicians aren't there anymore. So I thought, how is there a way that I could still um, do what I love, be with other clinicians, but I also really care a lot about patients? And I saw um, my work being um, able to connect them through Twitter, but also being able to um, build PowerPoints for different people that were working within these populations. I also do um adult education through AHEC. And so a lot of the people that are in healthcare that need um their uh hours and their certifications and things like that, I, as an adult educator I do um some of those programs too.
2: Yeah the AHEC there is is pretty uh pretty extensive and uh I'm uh for people who may not know I'm trying to Google. <laughs> it's, uh,
0: Allied uh, Health.
2: Yeah, uh, Allied Health something. <laughs> all, all, all my family medicine he people are, are going to be making fun of me because I don't know uh, what uh, what it is, but but everybody knows it as kind of a But it, it's kind of like a it's a it, it's kind of an educational region where where people right. um, you know kind of get together and you know, it is kind of focused on on uh, on patient care. Is, is that right? Right. right. Um, so, um, so let's talk a little bit about Twitter here because uh, that's kind of how we met. We we met on 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 uh, kind of a lot of Twitter chats and things, and and you were so nice and gracious to to reach out and just to say hello and and to give me positive feedback on on these Twitter chats, which are very confusing and, and overwhelming for me for some time. But but let me ask you, Lisa. So what 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 do you get out of Twitter, or specifically Twitter chats, and what are what are the what is the value that you see?
0: Um, The value that I see is that um, in anything, relationships get built. So I see patients coming in. I see clinicians. I see physicians. We're now having pharmacists come in and talking and learning together is one of the things that's really helpful. And then connections are made. So, you know, if I want to know a topic, maybe I'm researching it to do a talk, you develop these subject matter experts that are, you know, some of them turn into your friends or your colleagues and you do favors for them and they do favors for you. I also get to know people and know their stories. So we were chatting a little bit earlier about, um, there's a woman named uh, Muriel quilting Muriel and she's 82 years old and she does Twitter. Um, But back to um, tweet chat specifically, another woman who I really would call my friend um, her name is Gloria Wilson, mm-hmm. and on Twitter, she's Grandma on Deck, and she's 80. Wow. She does a tremendous job during tweet chats. She talks a lot about leadership. She also can talk about health care, but um, I, she must not have arthritis because she can go just as fast as anybody else. And um, so that's, that's another thing that Twitter does is it helps uh, break down maybe stereotypes sure. or um, different um ways about that. I also see the value that people, when people would talk about patients, um, sometimes I didn't give them enough credit, and um, developing these relationships that you do when you're having these tweet chats um, really helped me um, better understand kind of their world, and I always thought I had a lot of empathy as a clinician, but I think... um, I think it's even better now.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And something that we're really seeing now was that, um, and you've participated in this as well, you know, Twitter, you know, at meetings, you know, mm-hmm. kind of live tweeting. And, and and for people who may not be familiar with, with that craziness out there, how would you describe, uh, you know, live tweeting at meetings?
0: Um, I did not come up with this. A, a gentleman in Raleigh did, but this – this one sentence kind of breaks down all the misunderstandings that there are about live tweeting. He said, the sound of the keyboard is the new sound of applause. Yes. So if I'm a speaker, and I am a speaker when I'm doing a, when I'm doing a speaking engagement, and somebody thinks I'm doing a good job, then I'm getting all this, this reach, this advertising, this, this um, accolades that go all over the world. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's a wonderful way to spread the message about um, a conference, a speaker, a presentation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's um, really can be a wonderful way to kind of get a little bit of a taste of what's it like being there.
2: Um, I guess on the line is uh, Lisa Fields, and you know her as a Practical Wisdom on on Twitter. And uh, let me shift things a little bit here and, and uh, talk about another one of your passions it, uh, is, uh, you know, really good presentation, communication, and, and specifically, you know, you know using uh, PowerPoint. And I know that you've had done a lot of presentations about, you know, how a lot of PowerPoint decks are just awful. And I <laughs> I agree with you. And, and you know, I, I'll definitely go on the record. There's a lot of PowerPoint out there that just sucks. It's awful. Um but uh, maybe you'd share a little bit of, about, you know, with us, you know, as far as, you know, what, you know what's your beef with it? You know, what's, what, what's your deal with, with PowerPoint presentations? Why what, why do you want to try to help people have good PowerPoint presentations?
0: Um, because a bad PowerPoint presentation is disrespectful. Wow. Um, I'll go that far. All if,
1: right.
0: If somebody comes somewhere and all they have are bullet points and or they're reading their slides, then, to me, that says they didn't do their homework. They did yes. not prepare to speak in front of everyone else. So when you think of the cost of going to a conference, you know, it's time away from work. It's the airfare. It's the conference fee. It's all those other things. So a really less than spended PowerPoint, or what did you say, awful?
1: Uh, awful, uh, yes. Awful PowerPoints.
0: <laughs> awful PowerPoints. I think awful is um, disrespectful to people. I really do. Yeah. Um, and so, But not everybody knows how to tell the story. Not everybody knows how to do this. I used to not know how to do this. Mm-hmm. My PowerPoints were full of bullets, and they were boring. And people's attention spans are so short. So I read some books, and I got involved. And I've always been really attracted to photography and pictures. Mhm and, um, so when you're just showing me bullet points, it doesn't really resonate and it and so, as an adult educator too, um we learn through facts, but we also learn through stories, and we also learn through emotion mm-hmm. so um when people are just putting the the text on a slide, then you're missing out on a a good portion of the way that adults learn
1: mm-hmm. so
2: um, so that's, it's more than it was what's on the slide. It is the story. It is the emotion. It's kind of the whole type of thing. Would that be fair to say?
0: I think that'd be fair to say. And that's where, too, I I call it building high-end PowerPoints. Mm-hmm. So in my PowerPoints, too, I'm going to take YouTube video. Or if it's a physician and they, they want to teach something and they do a YouTube clip, wouldn't that be great to be talking and then instead of telling us with your mouth You're going to show us.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: and also in learning, we know that when you break up the learning, people are better able to stay with you and pay attention. So it's a way of of breaking up um, that that conversation. Also, finding humor is really wonderful because when people start to laugh, it's really interesting. All the defences go down, and you really can capture people at that moment. Then take them, and then bring them down. Bring talk about something serious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So when when people show the really lousy powerpoints, um, to me it's saying, you know what? I don't even think if you're doing lousy powerpoints, I wonder if you're even passionate about what you're talking about.
2: Interesting, huh? So, so I mean, so a really good presentation, you know, the the person has to be into it. They have to be passionate about it. it. Just can't be just rattling off facts and slides and all that kind of stuff. You know what? If
0: they're not into it, then they shouldn't have been invited to the conference. Right. Because, and I think you are a good example of this too. There's a tremendous difference between a PowerPoint deck and a handout. So we've probably all been to a conference, and somebody will put something up on the screen, and it has way too many details, and the fonts are too small, or some complex graph, and somebody will say, I know y'all can't see this.
2: Yeah, I love love when people say that. Don't you love when people say that? Like, even if I'm, like, in the front of the room. Right. You know, like, I understand the back of the room, but if I'm in the front of the room, and the speaker says, I know you can't see this, I'm like, come on. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Maybe
2: they're an optician, right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but no, I totally agree with you. With, with um,
1: some, of, some of these, uh, some of these it, powerpoints are awesome.
0: Yeah, it's really important. And you know, there's another whole area called um, visual data, yeah. and people are using that. They're even doing um, visual data for uh, resume for job descriptions. Yeah. Waste management is a good example of that. So the infogram, a lot of us like that. So we can learn things a lot more quickly if visuals are are a part of that. The human face. Um, I was sharing with with a physician that I know and respect highly, and he was telling this great story, this real-life story about a mom who really helped him in his case. And I said, I wanted to see the mama's face. I wanted to see what she looked like. Make it real for me. Help, me. help me know. And by the way, you know, reality is wonderful. People want to know, like, where do you get good images? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you get what you pay for. So, you know, I'll buy an iStock photo. But a lot of us are taking pictures, Instagrams. Yeah. We're taking video. So, you know what? That's going to help customize your own slide deck, too. That's, that's going to probably bring in your passion.
2: Now, um, I, I should uh, I should tell everybody out there in the Internet world, that means you out there, uh, that Lisa is going to be coming back for an extended interview on, on the podcast. Uh, but this is a little snippet here. So, <laughs> um, But in our remaining moments here, I, do, I did want to ask you about Cinder Blocks. I did want to ask you about Regina Holliday's uh, meeting. And, and h- how was that out there? I know you presented out there, but what was it like to be there on the ground? I was doing my best to try to help tweet out and things. But what, what was the experience being there in person?
0: It was unbelievably good. Um, it was so rich, Mike. I really wish you could have been there. Um, I There have been so many beautiful blogs that have been written about it. And one of the things I think that was so wonderful about it is, you know, I had friends. All of us had people that we really call friends that we've met through Twitter. And, you know, as... Um, one of the people recently said he said you know what when you met people for the first time there were no handshakes yeah. there were hugs yeah absolute hugs and um regina holiday has this magic about her that she brings out the best in everyone and one of the things that was so remarkable about it was the majority of people were patients you know i'm not a patient i'm a patient advocate and there were some other people but there were people that really could go into more details than they typically do on Twitter about how hard is it to be a patient, but not once. And I was there the whole time. Not once did anybody complain, feel sorry for themselves, whine, do anything. Um, And, you know, they could have, Mm -hmm. but just remarkable people that have come together. And um, the other thing was just that Regina gave People opportunities to present. There were people. I did a presentation on doing decks to help people with their slide decks. There were people that helped doing speeches. Um, uh, Alicia and Anne um, did a wonderful uh, program on the value of tweet chats and and what they were all about. So it was very very practical, but it was it was. Um, Mental,
2: emotional, physical,
0: spiritual—it was all
2: wrapped up. Yeah, the very exhausting, kind of in a good way. I mean, it was exhausting for me, following thousands of miles away. You know, the, the very busy Twitter stream um, from that uh, from that meeting—it was just uh, just incredible just to just for me just to be be even a little bit of a part of that, even though I wasn't right. physically there. Right.
0: You just made a really good point too, and I think most people would agree with me that most of the folks that are live tweeters that do it a lot are the patients and the patient advocates. So we had some pictures of, of us taken. But if you look at the way that people are reaching out and getting the word spread, it's really interesting that the majority of them tend to be the patient's Almost predominantly, some patient advocates too.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: um, they did a really good job of explaining it and getting people excited and and bringing everybody together. Also, I think Regina did a phenomenal job of bringing people together the the um, the sponsors and yes, and yes,
2: it was very admirable. I, I have no idea how they how she pulled that off, but it was well, it was incredible the sponsorship that she had.
0: Yeah, and I don't know all the people specifically, but I know um, that InTouch, I think, helped pay for airfare, the Mm -hmm. food, and um, Bunny was there and did a wonderful job, and she's a great speaker, and she was so supportive. She just wrote a blog, Mm -hmm. I think it came out yesterday from InTouch, and she talked about the hugs, and I think she even said, like, there were no boring (laughs) PowerPoints, which I loved, um. I, you know what, Regina also gave me a learning opportunity because I had never done an ignite speech. Have you done one?
2: Yeah, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about that. So, yeah. so, 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 tell me about your uh, your process on preparing for an ignite talk. It took a long time.
1: <laughs> Did it
2: take like double or triple the time that you would normally? Try uh, like quadruple well, exactly.
1: <laughs>
2: so, for people that don't know,
0: that is um. I think 20 slides, Correct. 15 seconds yes. um, that are automatically advancing for a total of five minutes. That's right. So I know when I first started doing public speaking, you know, somebody said, you're going to have to speak for 10 minutes. And I'd be like, oh, okay. now I can do public speaking for hours. Um, and, you know, people pay me to come and do a half day seminar or a full day. Exactly. But five minutes. Yeah such a good, it's a really good learning tool. Yeah, there are some um, students at Wake Forest University that are getting their degrees in the biotech area, and they actually are learning to do elevator speeches. There's an elevator in Winston where they're going up to be able to um, express their ideas really well. So what I'm going to do for them is teach them about the Ignite speeches. Yeah. Because, because what's so wonderful about that is, yes, you have to get focused about your your um, discussion and your content and, and how you're coming across, but most of us are visual learners. So once again, there we go back into that PowerPoint. Some of my PowerPoints were just pictures, mm-hmm. and they were powerful.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I, I did a speech one time. Um, I think I'll do this in an Ignite one the next time I do
1: one.
0: <laughs> and it just showed a microphone. And um, people were kind of blurred in the background. A lot of people had red on, like you do. And this was a smaller group that I was consulting with. And this woman, Mike, she starts having tears like come down her face. Mm-hmm. I knew her well enough, and I said, "On a break, I think." I said, "Tears? What, what? You know, do you feel like sharing what was going on?" And she was like, "That's how I felt the first time I did a public speaking engagement." So um, those pictures are so so important, and um, the ignite speeches are very powerful when they're well done.
2: Yeah, it took me. I I just did one this past summer, and uh, I recorded it. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll definitely send you a link, and I'll put one on the website too. And it's uh, one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to do. And uh, you know, and and we're similar. Sounds like we're similar presenters, you know. And it's just it's it's not only working on the images, but it's working on you know your tone and your pacing and. And, um, thing. <laughs> and uh, you know, where you where you emphasize where you bring your voice up and all that compacted into five minutes. It's, it's you know, it's one of the best things that uh, from a process standpoint, I don't know about the presentation, but from a process standpoint, it really makes you focus and, and you know, let you, you know, remind yourself what is the real stuff and right. what is kind of the stuff you could leave
1: out.
0: And you know in a way it's just a mini version of an average deck no matter how long you're talking if if yeah. you're asked to at a conference half an hour 45 minutes whatever but your goal is always what are one or two points that people are going to take away after yeah. and so with 5 minutes you have a better ability i think when it's done well to be able to do that but that's it's such a good uh, learning tool and i'm going to be doing more of them and you know, think about it. Any time that somebody wants to, young people that are getting ready to graduate, whatever level they're going to be interviewing, and um, being able to have that um, skill and focus um, could be really helpful for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, and mm-hmm. and they could even put those up on their
2: LinkedIn sure.
0: or a blog or mm-hmm. um, other places. So um, how long did it take you to do yours? Do you, know, do you remember?
2: Um. I don't know. It took me so much. It felt like it felt like months. <laughs> because it's it's just so it's, it took me days. <laughs> yeah, it was just like really come on. And it's just like and and uh um, and it's and it's like building, you know, I mean, it, w- w- one of the little speaker secrets out there is that, you know, a lot of people recycle, you know, their slides and things and <gasps> this this is like, you know, kind of building a whole new thing and I'm like wow, this takes a, lot, it takes a long time in matching everything up and you, you want to make – oh, so when I say this and then two seconds later, you know, your slide's going to – So
1: 15. Or, or, you
2: know, 15 <laughs> seconds, you know, and then you're yeah. just like, oh, you want to make sure that everything lines up. And, and that that was a, a fun challenge for me, actually.
0: You know, it really was. It was fun, but it was also a little daunting, like, okay, here's Lisa that does this for a living. And then it was like, oh, but I've never done one of these before.
1: Exactly, um, yeah, because the and, people I
2: presented to have seen me present in a long format. And, right. Uh, they're like, right. Hey, well, we know you can do okay. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to mess this up.
0: I know, I know. <laughs> and you know, it's really funny for me because I really think it's really a better title. But they're called Ignite Speeches, and I kept calling them Inspire Speeches. Yeah. <laughs> thinking, you know, Ignite, like you catch it on fire. But I'm like, but they're so inspiring. Yeah. And And so when you specifically asked me what made Cinderblock so wonderful, I don't remember how many people did it, but I don't think any of us had done that before. And so to give people an opportunity to be with the most supportive audience possible, but to stretch us out a little bit beyond our comfort zone um, was just so amazing. And. Um, you know, we're already it's so funny that blogs are I mean, that was September and today's November and blogs keep coming out and tweets keep coming out and I really miss people. Yeah. It yeah. just was mm-hmm. an amazing thing. And you know, she put that together so quickly, Mike. Mm-hmm. She only had, like, a couple couple months to do it and basically did it on her own.
2: And you have your jacket, don't you? You have your walking gallery jacket. That's my jacket? Uh, my jacket? I, I know the audio people will have no idea what I'm talking about, but the video people will see uh, yeah. will See this.
0: Uh... Um. Can you see it? Yeah,
1: yeah. Wow, that is, that's see, incredible.
0: It, this is really such – you know what? I'll tell you this. Other than the birth of my daughter, this is the best gift I've ever been given.
1: Yeah, of course, yeah. So
0: yeah, great. this is um, pastoral care. I used to work, um, visit people in the hospital. I'm very fortunate I haven't had breast cancer, but this is to represent the tweet chats that happen um, mm-hmm. on Monday night, um, mm-hmm. the Breast Cancer Tweet Chat Group. And this is my work in addiction and also in the field of mental health. Okay. And There's so much detail. I don't even know if you can see this, Mike. But if you look really closely, you can see he has a cigarette. Okay. So she really made this very real. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and detailed. And then this is me. Um, and you'll notice there's Twitter birds everywhere. Yeah. That's wow. what I do. And then the title of this, I think my jacket is number one
2: twenty-seven. Okay.
0: Is a jacket?
2: Uh, no, I, I I have to earn my jacket. <laughs> one of these days I'll earn my jacket. <laughs> um,
0: but it this my it even has a title and it's called Sacred Media. Yeah. So my, I've had lots of different um, areas of interest and also in my career. And really, this is like a visual resume.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Like, um, and the blog post was written just amazingly. Here's a funny story about my jacket, too. Sure. My jacket was in the Washington Post. <laughs>
2: oh, that was yours?
0: Well, I'm next to E-Patient Dave. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I was exhausted because... Regina doesn't stop, and and I'm kind of hunched over, and it's not a very flattering picture of me. It's kind of interesting to say, I don't know that I can say I was in the Washington Post, but my Jack is in the Washington Post. And that's actually um, part of my bio now, is I, I say that I was inducted into the walking gallery. Yeah. So I, I wear it a lot too. I don't just wear it when I go to Medicine X or when I go to different conferences. I usually wear it like once a week. And I one time I was traveling actually to Medicine X and the woman who was driving the bus, we started talking and her insurance had been taken away because she had asthma and um I chose not to go through the X ray machine at the um at the airport 'cause never oh, heard the story. Yeah. yeah. And So I started chatting with another woman and she was a breast cancer survivor and that conversation came about because she saw that and asked me about that and she chose not to go through the x-ray machine. So it's interesting that um, it brings conversations that can be really, really personal. Once again, as an adult educator, we learn through story. Sure. So this story and um, really organic and natural icebreaker.
2: Uh, so before we go, I, I do uh, want to mention uh, that you have this new kind of leadership Twitter chat. That uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'd like to uh, have people hear
1: about that.
0: I would love to. And I'm really excited because I'm partnering with Colin Hung, and he's from Canada. And um, he also is a member of the Walking Gallery. And um, so Regina... Um, it's interesting. We all kind of met through that way and through tweet chats. But his skill set's very different than mine. He has um, an IT background. He's the vice president of marketing with an um, electronic medical record organization. And our goal is everybody's welcome, Mike. I, I want to make that really clear because we've only had two. Um, everybody's welcome. But this chat is specifically for healthcare care and leadership. So I wanted to do this for two years and I just didn't see anything that was um capturing both of those um areas. So we our first chat was two weeks ago and we talked about why should a CEO be on in healthcare, why should a CEO be on Twitter or at least listening. By the way, I have come up with a new term for lurking. Uh oh. You know how people talk about lurking? Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds really creepy. So, I'll run this by you, too. I like the term active listening. Okay. I, I don't know, because you could, I guess, active listen when you're reading the, the transcript later. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but, um. so anyway, it was really exciting because um, Clarissa, I hope I'm saying her name correctly, O'Brien, yes. the social media for Aetna, and um, there's really interesting story about how active their CEO is on Twitter. And in the New York Times, there was an article about a young man who was working on his PhD and was paying $400 a month for his insurance and he got colon cancer. Yeah. Maxed out um, his insurance, but he started talking about it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then the CEO came on and in the end, they paid the $115,000 Wow. That the young man needed. So when we asked, you know, what are the benefits? Even if people in in the highest area of leadership are on Twitter, then they're listening basically to their customers, yeah. seeing what's going on. And um, that tweet chat was so wonderful with our community. People said things that were so memorable. And I I actually was so impressed with, Not only, you know, having the person that's in charge of the social media for Aetna, but the CEO answering questions later. But I was really equally impressed with our community that I made a PowerPoint deck from the transcript on Simpler. So usually you can read a transcript, but I thought, what would it be like if we could visually see people? And then I included what their titles are, which goes back to the leadership area oh, well, this person's in this industry or this person does this or that, I think it helps with the context. And then maybe even be able to see their faces. And if we choose not to, because a lot of people do, choose not to be involved in a tweet chat, I might know somebody that um, is interesting or shares an interest or that I might want to perhaps even develop a professional relationship from. Mm -hmm their face and i see what they say and then i know what they do i think that helps with warning and context too
2: my i uh, guess on the line is uh lisa Fields. you can find her on twitter please find her on twitter she's awesome practical wisdom uh and uh so just in our closing moments my, my last a very very difficult question for you not really um so for people who you know they're, they're still not really sure about social media and twitter and things um you know, to, to share with me and everybody out there you know you know how does social media and Twitter, how does that, and why is it important for things like telling your story and and for building relationships? What has that meant to you?
0: How much time do you have? <laughs> you know, like I, like, uh, we share a friend, Wen Yes. That's her name out. But she's healthcare Wen, and she's a physician. And for the last day since the hurricane started, happened in New York City. She is volunteering her time and she's putting out tweets, please help. We need physicians. Please help. We need diapers for adults. Please help. Um, I have, I know, you know, just from the emergency standpoint, it's so very important. Um, I know stories that help me when um, I'm doing a speech somewhere. I know who I can call to, to give me some help. Um, I know Quilty Muriel is 92 years old and is hilarious, and she's also um, in New York City and went through the hurricane, and so when things were getting so dire and dark, you didn't want to say anything funny, but she would put something out that would bring a smile, even to my friend Wen, who is out there volunteering in probably the most horrible conditions, brought a smile to, to her face. Um, and so that community becomes larger. Um, I uh, I one time was moderating a tweet chat in Australia, and my topic was, what happens to our social media when you die? Yeah. And it's been my experience that the Australians as a group, in my experience, I'm not stereotyping, but it's been my experience. They tend to be very humble people, and I love that group for many reasons, but that's one. But this woman that I didn't even know when we were talking about what happens to your social media when you die, she just tweeted, this is very helpful. I work for young people. And something in me said, okay, what is her deal? There's something very interesting. It it just was like, "Mm, there's more to the story. She's a transplant surgeon. Her name is Varan. And now we become friends and we actually um, are working, you know, we share information and things like that. But just because of that tweet chat and because she was open, that's a big part of it when you do Twitter, is being open that you're going to find value and find the right communities. I mean, mm-hmm. if you find out who had a cup of coffee somewhere, that's fine. You can do that. But when you find those valuable communities, change occurred because of that one tweet chat. So now, when um, people are waiting for transplants, and, and the sad fact, you and I both know, is they're not all going to live. Yeah. But... Dr. Varan now has put that on the form, mm-hmm. discussion that they can have. Mm-hmm. So regular, ordinary people like me um, can help people um, spread it, information. Can Sure,
2: sure, of course, yeah.
0: Need, you know, the funny thing, too, is I don't think we really need focus groups anymore. Mm-hmm. So you we put it on Twitter. Yeah, when when I was doing my um, ignite speech, Gar Reynolds um, wrote an amazing book called Presentation Zen, and I got to know him. And so I put out a tweet. Now I have his email address. I do, but I put out a tweet, and I was like, "Gar, can you help me?" And sure enough, he did. Yeah, really did. Um, Tom Peters,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he was always my hero in search of excellence. Sure. Um, so, um, he, he's wonderful. And sometimes I I can even remember one time I said something like, oh, I'm so naive. I believe this. And he was like, welcome to the land of naive. I am too. (laughs) Um, you know, how else would I have ever known to send a thank you note to Tom Peters for helping me see something or, helping me, um, I don't know, what would you say when he, when he said, welcome to the land of, it, it, it was an acknowledgement that um, maybe sometimes being naive isn't such a bad thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Lisa Fields, thank you so much for the time. Of course, your, your practical wisdom on, on Twitter. And if people want to reach out and find out more about you, where, where would you direct them to go?
0: Um, well, I I would direct them to go to Twitter. And um I'm also working on my LinkedIn page and some of my friends will laugh hysterically, but I am gonna be getting my new blog out. <laughs> <laughs> is is that like
2: an ongoing joke?
0: <laughs> uh perhaps it'll be a happy day when it comes out. Oh, there you go. But okay. I am close to it. But you know, there's people like you that, that blogging just comes naturally and you're a really good writer. For me, you know, I'm a I'm a micro I'm I'm a mm-hmm. a Twitter person.
2: Well, I think I think it's a different skill set. I mean there's microblogging, there's blogging, there's videos, there's audio podcasting. That's one of the awesome things about social media is that people can find their niche and whatever they're really good at and then connect – with other people who have their strengths. And uh, I think that's kind of how, how you and I met. And uh, just to let people know out there that, you know, we'll bring you back on the podcast or on video to have a little bit more conversation, but um, you know, people will not be surprised that how similar we are in, in in how we do things and how we present things. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to having a more um, extended conversation with you. And I want to thank you so much for the time. Um, And um, you know, just, You know, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job out there.
0: And, you know, the reason I I know you is Twitter, just like in real life, you're associated by the company you keep.
2: (laughs) Company, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, All right. So, yeah, stay tuned here, uh, kids. And uh, uh, we'll we'll, we'll be having uh, more stuff uh, coming up soon. And uh, we will be uh, right back. Uh, and uh, so we 're back live now and uh so so i want i want to thank again uh, lisa for uh, for coming uh, on the show and um uh, um but we're, we're 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 not done yet we're not done yet. We have one more interview in this podcast here this evening, but just kind of you know kind of reflecting back on our conversation earlier uh, earlier today um you know she's she's super i mean she she has a lot of energy and uh, we 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 kind of bet around the idea of uh of, uh, presenting together, uh, at, uh, at a conference somewhere. And can you imagine that kids, can you imagine that, uh, how crazy and nuts uh, would that be? Can you, can you see the tweeting out what would happen, uh, for something like that? But, uh, uh, but yeah, just, just thanks again for coming on the show. we'll, we'll bring her back. Cause I, I kind of put her on the spot uh, today, uh, with, uh, um, uh, with uh, having her be interviewed, and she was a great sport about it, and she's you know she's a professional, um, and she did great to, with the interview. But then we'll have a more extended uh, conversation uh, coming up on a, on a future uh, show uh, at some point. But definitely check her out on Twitter, Practical Wisdom on Twitter. She's on LinkedIn, um, and if you Google her, you'll get her uh, get to her uh, website um, as well, Lisa Field uh, Associates. Uh, but coming up, uh, the uh, the next interview uh, for uh, for this podcast. Don't don't tune out now. Um, and if, if if you know if you have to, that's fine. Just download the podcast later or pause it and, and come back to it uh, because we have a great conversation with a college student, uh, with an undergraduate student, um, and his name is Will. And uh, he has a podcast called the Lost in Pre-Med Podcast. Uh, kind of kind of a cool name, huh? Uh, go check out lostinpremed.org, um, and we'll be having that conversation uh, coming up right after this brief break uh, here on the Family Medicine Rocks Podcast. My name is Mike Sabella. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here this evening, and uh, we'll be back right after this. Right, uh, social media through the eyes of a family physician. My name is uh, Mike Savilla. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. This is episode 200. Eighty-two. That's right. I have not been canceled here on the Blog Talk Radio Network uh, as of yet. Uh, so this, uh, so this, uh, the, this final interview uh, here this evening was recorded a few weeks ago, and I, I apologize to Will for not having um, you know played this uh, earlier, you know, with scheduling and everything else. Uh, uh, but I, I'm very excited to share all of this uh, here with you. Um, so the host name is Will Smith, not that Will Smith, uh, but uh, he is the host of the Lost in Premed podcast. You can go to Lost in Premed.org. And I got to meet um, Will uh, on Twitter, uh, because he gave me a shout out uh, one day of uh, some of the uh, websites and podcasts that he uh, uh, reads and listens to. And thank you so much for for sharing that with your audience uh, there. Um, And, uh, you know, it it was great uh, talking with him. It was great kind of thinking back, thinking back to those days, kids. Uh, when you were back as an undergraduate, whether a high school student or a college student, trying to think back, what what got me onto this path to be not only a physician, but to be a family uh, physician? And uh, um, so what I'll do is I'll, this uh, interview here is uh, broken up into four parts uh, here, and uh, we will just kind of uh, go through this one by one, and uh, I will uh, have a little bit uh, of a, a commentary following each of these uh, mini Segments here on the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. So uh, this is uh, Will from the Lost in Premed podcast, lostinpremed. dot org, and uh, here we go. And uh, on the line with us, uh, we have, and he's a very busy guy. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and uh, appreciate him taking the time. The host of the uh, Lost in Premed uh, podcast. Uh, check it out at lawsonpre-med.org, Lawson premed dot org, lostinpremed on Twitter and Facebook. dot com slash lost in premed. Uh Will is with us. Well, thank you for the uh, time, sir.
3: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh
2: so uh I I we uh, we kind of met on Twitter and I and uh, I appreciate you giving me a shout out on Twitter as you were starting to to find some podcasts uh to learn about. But just let's kind of go back a little bit cuz I, I was very fascinated by your show number 1 which i played a segment on uh, on my show uh, a, f- a few episodes ago uh and what you revealed was that you are kind of a non-traditional student and and uh, you kind of you know uh found your way um Uh, kind of a a circuitous route back to uh, medicine and back to medical school. Uh, Just to kind of start out for my audience here, maybe share a little bit of that story about undergrad and and how you got into, you know, things like uh, paramedic school and and how how you kind of, you know, started on this path towards medical school in the first place, Will. Yeah, sure.
3: Um, So I graduated from high school. Uh, I graduated top of my class, Uh, got accepted into uh, UC Davis, which around here is probably one of the, the bigger universities. Also has a very good med school. And it was kind of a little bit of a shock because I was kind of a, the, the big fish in the small pond in, in high school. Uh, there was probably only about 1,000 kids that went there. And then now I'm at this big university where I'm one out of about 40,000. And I was no longer the, the big guy, the big kid on campus. And so it was kind of a shock to me. Um, so I kind of had to deal with being out on my own, away from living with my mom, you know, my whole life. Uh, I did graduate uh, fairly young. I was graduating when I was 17, so there was kind of a culture shock uh, just as much as as anything else. I had a couple of uh, family problems the first couple of years. I ended up losing my uncle in kind of a freak roofing accident, Uh, kind of on top of having to deal with this culture shock. Now I was having to deal with kind of the, the first family member loss of my life, and so my grades didn't do very well. Um, it was also kind of a shock going from high school work, which wasn't effortless, effortless but I still was able to do well. Um, to I remember getting a paper back um, from, and I think it was an anthro paper, and it basically had more red ink on the paper than I had put down, um, and, and I did I did terrible at it. And so again, it was like this huge shock to me that oh my gosh, I'm I'm not the, the the standout kid that I used to be. And so I kind of went through a bit of a depression, uh, plus, like I said, losing my uncle. Um, and I was basically brought in to an administrator's office, not an administrator, a counselor's office, and they said, you know, we, we think that you need to change your major. It doesn't look like you're going to be able to cut it as a pre-med. And so that was, again, another low blow. Uh,
2: and this was your first year of classes or going into your second year of classes? What At what point was that?
3: This was actually probably after my second year Okay. Uh, of uh, college. And so, you know, I, I had never failed like this in, in multiple senses before. So I kind of just decided to change my major and I would figure out where I needed to be in life a little bit later on. And I just wanted to get out of Davis with a degree. And I didn't want to have to, you know, necessarily start all over because they did give me the option of transferring. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, so I ended up picking, uh, It was, I think it was comparative religion. Um, because I, I enjoyed the classes, but it was also only 60 units, and since you typically take 15 units every semester, because or excuse me, every quarter, um, it would really only take me maybe an extra quarter to get out of there on time, so I wasn't going to be there for six or five or six years. I could still get out in a little over four and a half years. Um, so I finished up college, had my uh, Bachelor of Arts in Comparative Religion, and I think it was my very last, or second to last quarter I ended up taking an EMT class, and that was kind of, I kind of call that my my gateway drug back into
1: medicine.
3: (laughs) Part of getting your EMT uh, license is you either have to do a ride-along, so you you find an ambulance company that you can ride along with and see how the big boys actually do it, or you got to do some observational time. And Since I was going to UC Davis, they kind of had an in with the emergency room at UC Davis, which is a level one trauma center. Um, it's the the biggest thing for us, and I'm probably t- up until San Francisco, and so that's probably about 100 miles or so. So we pretty much get anything from the area. Um, and then there's also um, one of the Shriners hospitals is right next to us, and they get people from all over the country, or kids from all over the country. So I remember in that eight hours that I was supposed to do, I saw stuff that just I, I was enthralled with, and it was amazing to me to see like this is what people do for a living and this is absolutely just incredible. And so I think that that was my first initial uh I think my first initial insight to you know maybe I do want to do medicine again. So uh, oh sorry go ahead. Um uh,
2: so is there anybody uh in your family in medicine uh in any kind of medical field at all or
3: Well um Let's see. I do actually have some distant family that is in... I think I have an uncle that was a radiologist. Another that... uh, I think he did OB um, for a while. And I do have a distant cousin who now, I guess, is doing his residency in emergency medicine. So that's exciting. Um, But I really didn't grow up around my dad's side of the family. So anyone who I am related to that's in medicine just happens to be... um, I guess more of a coincidence. it's no one that I really actually looked to for medicine and actually um, my my dad's side of the family kind of grew up not really not saying believing in medicine, but they were more um, faith based and so they thought that um, you know if there was something wrong, that you should kind of turn your your uh, see uh, t- kind of kind of turn to God and he would take care of you versus like actually taking medications and stuff like that. So they weren't anti-medicine, um, but it wasn't something that was uh, readily talked about in the family. So yeah, and
2: I know that you've talked about in your pocket that you didn't want to delve a little bit, you know, a lot in, into the faith-based and religious aspects. But I did want to ask you that specifically, because when you were, you know, taking those classes, I mean, you know, or, or even when you switched majors, I mean, you were pretty beat down emotionally and things. And, and uh, you know, when you were in those religious classes, then, is, is it in those Um, studies and teachings that you started to, you know, feel a little bit more self-confident in yourself again or to get yourself out of that, you know, depression or shock um, that you've had, you know, over the past year and a half or two years, what was kind of going through your mind as you were going through those classes? Was it just kind of, you know, just kind of like phoning it in and, and then you just figured it out along the way or was it in those studies or were there people that you met along the way to help, you know, get you out of this depression?
3: Um, yeah, I, w- I would say that probably the the latter uh, options would be true. Um, I unfortunately have a, a knack of not understanding my surroundings and, and that I'm where I need to be um, until after everything has already passed. So right now, what I would tell you is I needed to be told, I, I would tell you now that I needed to change majors. And I needed to kind of have this little slump in my life to realize how bad and how passionate I am for medicine now. Um, but of course, at the time, I'm just seeing this as I'm a failure. I'm not doing what I want to do anymore. So I just need to get out of, out of UC Davis with a degree. You know, I, I did have some friends that were around me that kind of helped support me through that and say, you know, God's going to look out for you. You're going to yeah, there's there's a plan for you in store, um, and that's one of those things that's kind of – it's it's tough to, like, have that realization at the time because it seems like things have been taken away from you. Um, but uh, So I would say that at the time, it was just one of those things, like, this is what needs to happen for now. Eventually, doors will be open, and I will end up going through them. However, I don't know where those doors are.
1: Yeah, yeah
2: um and and your story kind of really um i really related to it you know when i was in the medical school part when i got through my first couple years and after that you know i I had a rough time uh, myself and and went through something you know similar as far as depression or or not feeling good about myself and and there were some other life um instances or, or events that happened and uh um you know that that kind of, and i had to take a year off of medical school at that point and and uh try to find my own way back so i just wanted to let you know that i really kind of related to kind of some of your story um and that was part of the reason why i wanted to 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 talk to you um because um you know it's just um you know everybody has a different path um to get there but it is the same goal um, was it somewhere in there? Because a, a lot of medicine is a calling, and you've talked about this on your podcast before, how you feel like medicine is a calling. Um, did you start to feel that when you were doing um your your uh, paramedic classes. I know you related in your podcast the story of uh, of a baby that came in um, and that how that moved you and how that influenced you. Was that during during that time as a paramedic when uh, when the light just came on and said, you know, I, I really have to get back to my goal into in, getting into medical school?
3: Yeah, I, I think that uh, the, the best way to describe it is after I, I graduated Davis. I knew that uh, it was time to to get a job that paid the bills. Um, I was able to work for an ambulance company for a little while and then I got a job as a patient transporter at a local trauma center and because of the the, the union structure, um, anytime a job uh, would come up, there was um, they would hire internally before externally, so eventually I was able to get into the emergency room and work as an ER tech there and so that as As I started working more and more shifts, uh, working with the people around me, I I felt that I was placed uh, in a very unique and special opportunity to see, again, how emergency medicine works and how medicine works in general. And there were quite a few traumas that would come in or codes that would come in where it was just like I was enthralled with everything that was going on and I was soaking it up like a sponge. And it became more and more evident that this is where I needed to be. And as, so the story that you're talking about with the little girl, I I remember it vividly and it, you know, sometimes it still goes through my head and and basically what happened is there was this little 18 month old girl. And and this is kind of scary because this is how old my daughter is. And so now, now visually when I see the story, like it creeps in that like, you know, our little daughter's this age and to be very, self-conscious and it makes it more real which although it's harder to handle I think it's very important as healthcare workers that we can relate personally to what's going on because we do we are working with people and sometimes we kind of get that uh, that boundary between us and our patients Um, but I I don't want to digress too much but it's also one of those things that I think is very important now putting myself like on the other side of the gurney and like what if that was my daughter so uh, this, basically, or excuse me, this little girl came in. She was pulseless and apneic, so she wasn't breathing. Uh, she wasn't. Her heart wasn't beating, and it's because she had um, basically had a seizure and slipped. She was in the bathtub, slipped under the water, and she had swallowed um, a, a bunch of water. So she came in under CPR, and usually when you're in a big code like this, there's plenty of room for everybody because you're working on an adult patient, um, but on an 18-month-old, it's, it's a little bit different. So I was reaching up and over a nurse uh, in order to, to, to do compressions. And I still remember, like, her whole chest, I only needed three fingers to do to do compressions. And so for as important as my role was, like, I needed to be out of the way so they could push drugs and they could bag or intubate and they can do all these other things. Um, and I remember the, the doctor saying, okay, you know, th- this is it. Like, this is our last atropine that we're going to give. This is our last epi, which for those of you out there, those are, you know, code drugs that they use to kind of help stimulate the heart. And I remember him telling me to stop doing compressions. So I did about two or three more and I looked up and there were paramedics and battalion chiefs and like all the firefighters that had been called to this call were all in the room. And I didn't even look at the monitor and all of a sudden you could, you could hear the rhythmic beat of her heart going and everyone just like, there was a huge sigh of relief. And I know a lot of times like people use that as an expression, but there was something that you could audibly hear. And it seemed like that, that, that short span of time lasted about 30 seconds. But then, like, reality kicked back in, and then now it was time to ship her off to UC Davis to the to the ICU. And I remember going out in the ambulance bay, and I just basically cried my eyes out. This was It was a very sad case, but it was also a confirmation for me that this whole path that I had gone through, this is where I need to be. And everything that had happened wasn't in vain. It was on purpose, and I called my my girlfriend at the time, who then is my fiance and who now is my wife. um, And and she kind of confirmed the same thing. And so I walked back into the room and almost the entire uh, room had already been all cleaned up. But I looked at our little crash cart that we use that that had the monitor and someone hadn't ripped the the tag off. And so you could look at the heart rhythm and it was the, the sporadic rhythm of me doing compressions, And then you could see where I had stopped and you could see where her, Rhythmic beat had taken over, and so I took a copy of that um and it's actually something that I carry around with me in my wallet today
2: and 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 you know what what, what why do you do that what, what what does it mean to you um when you other times when you when you look for it or are there times where you just stumble onto it when you're looking into other things in your wallet what what does that symbolize to you well so i I think that uh, you know
3: contextually it's going to be different, so you know there are times where um, I'm just having a terrible time at school. I'm having a terrible time at work, and I'm frustrated, and I feel like I'm never going to get to my goal. And then I'll, I'll deliberately pull that out and look at it, and it kind of reassures me that I know I'm I'm on the path that I need to be. Um, it, it's not the the perfect path of four years of, of high school, four years of, of college, and then, boom, you're into medical school. Um, it, it's It's a different route. It's a tough route, but eventually I'm going to get there because this is where I need to be. Um, sometimes it also, um, you know, maybe I'm just having a bad day in general and, and I'll just happen to see like the little edge and I, I know, oh, that's, that's the EKG step. And I realize, you know, things aren't that bad. Um, that so one of my, uh, one of the titles of, of my podcast that I have is entitled, uh, lucky people problems. And, and I, I definitely think that my life is filled with problems that lucky people have, um, you, you know, is, is frustrated sitting in traffic and I'm going to be 20 minutes late to, I don't know, maybe say a podcast interview. Um, is that really as bad as someone who's worried about if their daughter's going to make it through this code? No, of course it's not. Um, and, and so sometimes I think as people in general, we get so wrapped up in the day-to-day things in life and we get put so much energy behind things that maybe aren't as significant as we make them. Um, and, and so sometimes that's what that, that reminds me of, is I'm, I'm very lucky to have the problems that I do um, and just to take a deep breath and everything's going to be okay.
2: Uh so we're back live and uh you know I I was I was, as I was listening to that again because it was recorded a, a number of weeks ago. I just uh, um you know I can't even imagine um you know that that kind of scene that he was setting uh being a paramedic and, and going through that and uh um it's just a, it's just incredible um you know the stories that you hear out here on the social media uh having people tell their story and it's just a very very powerful very powerful thing, and I'm uh, just I'm just so happy to to, to share all of this uh, with you. The this second part here, uh, we talked we dive a little bit into the podcast um, here, uh, and uh, this part two uh, is with uh, Will from the Lawson and Premed uh, podcast. Go and check out lawsonpremed.org and here is the next part of our conversation. My um, guest on the line here is uh, Will, the host of the Lost in Premed podcast. You can check it out at lostinpremed.org, dot org, also on Twitter at lostinpremed, and they also have a Facebook page, facebook.com dot slash lost in premed. Uh, so let's kind of switch gears here a little bit, uh, Will, and uh, let's let's talk about um, you know the podcast here a little bit. And you know, my first question on that is, you know, what do you remember your first kind of uh, you know, blog or podcast or exposure to, you know, this whole social media thing that we have out here.
3: Yeah, I do. Um and, and I think the the idea for a podcast came for a couple of in a couple of different ways. Um I work, I go to school and I live in a in a giant triangle and that triangle is probably if you go from from work To, or excuse me, well, yeah, from work to home to school, that's probably a good hundred plus miles. Um, And so I basically have a lot of travel time to go from here to there and back and forth. And so one of the things that I try to do because I can't fit much more into my life is I try to educate myself when I have downtime and I kind of consider driving to and fro downtime. And so there's a lot of different podcasts that I listen to. Most of them are emergency medicine just because that's what what's my what my interest is and so I'm able to learn and I'm able to capture a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise or I can listen to the radio and there's songs that I've heard 20 times already Um, so for me the whole podcasting thing was really important and significant to me because I was able to learn more about what I hope to be doing with the rest of my life in a time where I'm not really using it anyway and so When I thought about doing something to help out other pre-med students, I thought, why not do a podcast? It's something that I can record. I already have a computer. I already have a microphone. And I think it's something that I can sit down and talk about subjects. I can interview people. And I can kind of make an impression on other pre-med students because it's something that I'm going through and it's something that hopefully other people can relate to. And like you said you know, in in one of my first, first podcasts, you said, um, you know, after me telling my story, it was something that you could relate to. And that's that's really my, my whole goal. Um, as far as the podcast itself, um, it's something that, that I kind of have a tough time listening to just the first episode. Um, it took me probably about eight hours to record it all in all. Yeah. Because every time I'd sit down in front of the microphone, like my, my mind would just go blank or I'd go rambling. And it was just so frustrating that it, it probably took me about six hours to record and another two to three hours to actually, like, edit out all the ums and ahs and hums and this and that. Um, There you go. There's another um right there. So I I try to do a little QA and and listen to my own podcast as much as I can only so that way people aren't listening to the same thing or, like, oh, maybe I should have done this segment a little bit different. Um, But as far as the podcast goes itself, those I would say that what I think about when I have – when I listen to that first episode, hopefully, is a lot different than what other
2: people get. From it. Uh, I mean, I totally relate with, to what you're talking about uh, because, because uh, before I started this uh, this kind of live one take format, um, I, I did do a, a, a few pre recorded um, podcasts, and uh, I was very frustrated with them because uh, it would take me two and you grow, you're going through this now two three four uh, uh, times amount. Uh, to edit and all that kind of stuff then recording it and putting it up there. And um, that was very frustrating to me <laughs> because it was just like, there was just something that was just missing there uh, that I didn't like. And, and then, you you have the, the voice and then you have to pick the music and you pick your transitions and is it too long or is it too short or um if it's not perfect then I would pre record again and that was another five or ten or seven minutes. Uh so I definitely relate to what you're saying and uh yeah, I mean when you're first starting out, uh you know, and, and I think we're we're kind of alike like this is that, you know, we, we, we want it to be, you know, really great. We want it to be perfect. And sometimes it takes, you know, a lot more time uh, than what we should be really doing when, you know, when we have very limited time. Uh, so I definitely relate what, what, you're, what you're talking about. And, and uh, it was very frustrating for me starting out as well.
3: Yeah, and, and I think that um, even to compound the problem worse, it's like I said, I love listening to podcasts. And so I would listen to these guys who – Uh, of course, in my mind, would sit down in front of a microphone. They would talk for 40 minutes. It would sound absolutely flawless. They'd hit done. They'd put their show notes in, and they could upload their file, and it was just absolutely pristine. And, you you know, uh, we we were talking about uh, Cliff earlier. You you mentioned him. I listened to uh, a couple different of his podcasts, but the podcast Answer Man, he's like, it's it's so pristine. You're like, I could listen to this all day. And unfortunately, sometimes I have, much to the show. (laughs) It's so much influence, and it's like, they just make it sound so easy. And I'm sitting here, and I'm just watching the record go by, like seconds after seconds, and I've heard nothing. And then I go to say something, and then they cat me out in the background. And so then I have to edit that part out, and that was the one good take I finally had. And it's not going to me. So it's just one of those things that, you kind of learn to just live with it and accept it, and eventually it is going to get better. And people are going to listen and like you and love you and blah blah blah. So
2: yeah, I, I first met uh, Cliff like it was it was like four years ago before he was superstar Cliff, and uh, he's just starting out. And it was great talking with him, and it's, it's been great kind of seeing his career kind of really uh, take off. How, how did you uh, how did you come listening to Cliff? Was it just like you know podcast you know you just search podcast and his podcast Answer Man thing just came up?
3: Yeah, I think I actually I had a bunch of questions um, that I that I had to ask Google because nobody else around me knew the answers to them, and it, and it had to do with podcasting, and I found the Podcast Answer Man. And it was actually a fairly interesting story because I looked at his website, and there was a lot of stuff that I liked, and then he offers, like, this as a service. And I was like, you know, that would be really nice, but I simply can't afford that. Um, and so I kind of, like, looked around and put – kept that in the back of my mind. And I think I was looking to, one of the things that I like that Cliff does, and for all, the, for all of those out there who don't know who this guy is, he's he does a bunch of different podcasts and he kind of has made his own little network, which uh, I think is kind of cool. And so um, there was a, I don't remember exactly what the, the podcast name is, because um, he's kind of gone through a transition with changing names, um, but there was a, like a Christian or a faith-based uh, podcast that he does that I really, really enjoyed. And so I would listen to that and i kind of look at his um, podcast uh, episodes while I was listening to that. And then I like really started getting into the podcast Answer Man stuff and really enjoyed that.
2: Uh, yeah we'll give him a free plug here i mean it's com and uh gspn.tv uh any questions about podcasting uh he is the man and uh, if if i was going to choose to do more with this um like uh, you know, get more equipment. He would be the uh, the, the go-to guy. Uh, but let me ask you some geeky questions here, because uh, uh, let me t- let me ask you a little bit about your setup. There, uh, we talked uh, before we started recording that you have a Mac there. Uh, uh, what kind of microphone do you have? What kind of recording software uh, do you have there? Well,
3: so I went out and bought. Um, I don't. It's it's a Behringer mixer, but what it is is it came in a little package. Um, and it was basically a podcast setup, and I think I bought it off Amazon for like a hundred bucks. Um, it allows you to do—I think it's got a total of five channels. You can actually you can hook up two mics in case you want to interview somebody else. Um, and it came with a huge—it was it's a firewire setup, so that's how I hook it up to my Mac. Um, and it comes with all the cables and everything, so it's really one of those things that for a hundred bucks you can get. Arguably, it's more than you need, and, and I certainly agree with that. But I also, at the same time, Didn't want the quality of the podcast to suffer just because I went with the the $10 this or the $10 that. So I did spend a little bit more. Um, And over time, I have upgraded. I have an MXL mic. Um, It's an MXL 990, which I think I got off of eBay or something like that. And that hooks up uh, right into my little mixer. Uh, As far as software, I use um, Adobe Audition, which I really enjoy. Um, I have, I kind of look to GarageBand for like their transmit excuse me, transition music, because I, uh, if I'm not mistaken, all that stuff is royalty-free. Correct. So and use the program and not have to worry about, um, you, you know, getting getting a letter in the mail saying, stop, you know, cease and desist using our stuff without permission and all that. So I kind of, I, I started out in GarageBand, started using Adobe Edition, and I really like how easy it is to kind of edit stuff. And so that's kind of what I use to record. And then I have... Um, I think it's a Tascam PR40, oh, which is it's basically just a, a little uh, portable recorder, um, which I end up using more for recording my lectures at school um, than I do my guests. But I, th- I think I get you know fairly neurotic about like all the the sound and the background and stuff like that. So it's not like you can go to Starbucks interview someone uh, and then you're going to hear for an hour long all the different drinks that are ordered at Starbucks. So
2: that uh, <laughs> more for
3: um, for class, but initially I was going to use that um, for portable interviews.
2: And you're at your kitchen table as we speak right now.
3: And yeah, the, uh, the lavish lost in Premed uh studio, as I like.
2: <laughs> uh, a couple questions. I'll go for geeky questions, and we'll, then we'll get back to content. Um, your site got hacked a little bit. I uh, want you to share a little bit about that story.
3: Uh, so, actually, I think it's been hacked a couple of times, and I, I almost wonder if I kind of brought one of them on myself phone saying oh no i've been hacked and then that sounds like a challenge to, to <laughs> some. I think what was going on is um i was using a um i use wordpress and then i use uh, so i think it's thesis was one of the um uh, uh what do you theme that i was using and so what would happen there for a while is if you go to the website um it would all of a sudden be I think I figured out that it was like written in Finnish and it looked like finished software. So I had like no idea what was going on. And so then, um, and and of course it happened like on a Friday at five o'clock. So I email, um, my, my uh, host and you know, you know what's going on and I don't hear anything till Monday. So kind of had to, to take the site down there for a week, um, And then in my tweets and, you know, telling everyone what was going on, um, I I think I finally got it fixed. And then maybe a week later, what was happening is if you go to the website, you would stay on it for about 15 to 20 seconds. And then um, you would be redirected to um, a company that it was kind of odd because it's one of the companies that also provides um, like website services. And so I didn't quite understand the mentality behind that, um, because it doesn't seem like something that that company would want to happen. But basically, my site was being redirected to a different site, and that was frustrating too. So I kind of had to take everything down and yet again put everything up. And then right in the middle of me getting it back up for the second time, um, I kind of mentioned this earlier before the interview, but my daughter had gotten sick, and so she ended up throwing up all over the laptop, and so I I had no way of, of now... That I had my website up and I needed to fix everything. Like there was no way of me doing it until a couple weeks later, until we get, got a, a nice little substitute computer.
2: <laughs> uh, and then you upload the show to like Libsyn or something, or is that what you do? Or
3: on the on the advice of Cliff, uh, I use Libsyn. Uh, I actually really it's it's very easy to use. Um, I'm kind of more of like a backwards engineer, so I get the final product and then work backwards and figure out how everything works. Um, and Libsyn has just made it super easy. You can send everything off to, you know, you can th- send it through your Twitter, through your Facebook. Uh, if you're using WordPress, there's a plugin for that, so it'll even throw your your show up on your own website. Um, and now, actually, uh, I've had to upgrade because my show's gotten a little more popular, so I've made a couple more episodes uh, every month. And there's actually an app that you can get in the web, uh, in the the either the iOS or Apple Store or the the Google Market. So that's going to be coming out fairly soon. Pretty interesting.
2: Um, yeah i just downloaded it. i you, you just uh, you, you mentioned it on your most latest uh podcast and um uh, and that's important because um you know it's uh when people down and i'm just gonna kind of talk about it now but i mean when people download this i mean the the uh, and you have it on your site there the 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 app i believe is called uh uh, podcast box, B-O-X, and that's, people download that and then they search for your podcast in there. Um, and then there's a charge for that, which uh, you, you've said in your podcast that it is it is required, but, but that, that money's going to be going towards probably production or that type of stuff.
3: Right. That is what, right, right now, it, it comes um, basically from my wife and I's bank account. Um, and, and actually, if you don't mind me expanding just a little bit on this. Sure.
1: Uh, there, there's
3: one thing that I think kind of beat me down as as when I was going through the – I mean, I still am going through the pre-med thing, but I kind of have a better grasp on both who I am and what I'm looking for. But I think that a lot of times pre-med students will go onto a website and they'll see people that offer you help, and they get all enthralled about this, and the people who are offering you help are very good at marketing, and so they talk about all these different things. And at the very end, it's like, if if you need me to get you into medical school, it's only going to be $300 an hour. Or if you want to pay for a five-hour package, you know, I'll cut you a rate and it'll only be $1,000 or whatever. But the cost is so much that it really deters you from thinking, you know, I'm not going to be able to get into medical school because there's all these other people out there who can afford to do this. And as a result, like, I'm, I'm at a disadvantage because I can't afford to pay these people all this money to get me into medical school. And so that's one of the reasons that I've really tried to keep everything that I do is free because I don't want people to have to pay for um, to help in getting into med school. And that's not exactly what my podcast is aimed at doing is getting into people like into med school. But it, to me, it was always very frustrating to find this like this really nice, cool resource, and then it costs a bunch of money or it and, and so that's one of the reasons, like, even though it's only $1.99, yes, I understand that'll give you, what, a quarter of a cup of coffee at Starbucks, but that's not really the, the whole point. It's like, I want to, I do what I do because I have a passion for it, not because I'm trying to My
2: um, guest on the line here is Will, uh, the host of the uh, Lost in Premed podcast. Check it out at lostinpremed.org, on Twitter at lostinpremed, and also facebook.com slash premed. Uh, so let's, let's kind of just get back into, into the content of the of the podcast itself. Uh, when you were visualizing this in your head, um, you know what, what kind of information did you want to let pre-meds know? Why should pre-meds listen to your podcast?
3: You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in class and the professor says something and I don't understand it. And instead of asking a question, I just keep my mouth shut because I think everyone in the class understands it. No one else is confused. So maybe I'll just hold off on my question. And then the midterm's coming up, and get into a study group, and I think, okay, maybe I'll ask everybody else. So I go to ask the question, and nobody else knows the answer either. So had I asked the question in the very beginning, everybody would understand what was going on because the professor would would have gone over it a second time. Um, but instead, now because I was too worried about saying something, nobody knows what's going on. So it would have <laughs> in the very beginning to forget it. I'm going to talk about this and ask silly questions. And I think sometimes that that happens in the whole med school journey too, is people are so afraid that everybody else knows what's going on. And if I would rather someone, there's a saying like allow someone to to think you're ignorant versus opening your mouth and proving them right. Um, And so I don't want people to, to go around having all these unanswered questions they think that if they open their mouth and say something that everyone's going to look down on them.
1: Okay. And so,
3: so that was kind of the, the inspiration. The other thing is, you know, the, the pre-med journey, it's pretty cutthroat. And so there's a lot of people that aren't willing to share um, information because it might give you an advantage over me and I don't want that to happen. So I'll give you some information as long as I can no longer benefit from it. And, and, unfortunately, that can be very frustrating, especially if it's going to set you back a semester or a quarter or whatever.
2: Now, did you have kind of an idea of who you wanted to approach to do interviews and things, or, or was it just kind of just doing, doing Google searches and say, oh, this person would be nice to approach, or was it people that you've already had a connection with? How did that work trying to find guests to, to interview yeah, so
3: I think, again, um, you know, kind of the situation that I come from, and I've, I've worked in emergency rooms for about six years now. So the connections that I have are actually uh, from the, – the, I'm well-connected with quite a few doctors that have been through, the, obviously, the med school journey, um, but that are also willing to talk about what's going on. And so initially starting out, I intended to interview quite a few of them. Uh, and i have been lucky enough to do some in uh, some interviews and i've also had uh, there was a book that I reviewed not too long ago on my uh, on my podcast, and it turned out that it was from a recommendation from a doctor that I worked with that says, "Hey, I have a colleague at another hospital um, that wrote this book on um, premed stuff, so you should check it out and so I did, and because it was a close vicinity, I was able to get an interview and talk to him and um, I think a whole bunch of very interesting opportunities have now arisen from that. But initially it was one of those things that, that there were connections from people that I had and I knew in the medical community, which is actually very small, surprisingly, which is why you should never make anybody mad.
1: <laughs> then
3: you, you hear and talk to these people and then those doors open and then more doors open and then other doors open. And just like me talking to you now, so it's a very tight knit group when you come down to it, and so more and more doors seem to open themselves, and so far, like opportunities have just been presenting themselves
2: um and on your um episode, I believe it was five, and on your website is from August nineteen um You interviewed uh, the founder and editor of of, uh, Pre-Med Life Magazine. Uh, For people who don't know what Pre-Med Life Magazine, what is it, and and how did you get um, hooked up with them?
3: So Pre-Med Life Magazine is uh, based out of New York, and it's a gal that uh, started off on the pre-med course, and she was really interested in medical editing. And after a while, and I think she even said she had almost graduated, she decided she didn't want to go to med school, but she really liked, Doing medical editing. So she decided to put together a magazine. And so a magazine, the magazine is geared towards pre-med students. Uh, it's completely free, the digital uh, edition. So you can go to the website and I think it's bi-monthly. So there's a total of six episodes a year that um, have articles all about current events in medicine. Uh, I think right before school gets out, they try to have you know, all the different summer programs that you can, if you want to do research, if you want to do an internship, they have all these different things across the country, Um, technology and medicine. They have a student spotlight nominee, which uh, someone is kind of is submitted to their website, either they submit themselves or friends and family of this person submit them and they're chosen. Uh, And they kind of do a little bio on which I was um, uh, surprisingly, I was uh given that nomination uh it was almost a year ago now and then uh one of the things that really got me in with uh the, the magazine is that you can submit an article and I've actually had two articles submitted and published uh in in different uh different episodes i think that were almost like 6 months apart and so it, they also take contributions from um you, you know from from their readers and i think one of the things to me, while, why the magazine is, um, is so important is I actually rem- I had submitted an article, and I didn't hear anything for a couple months, which you know, doesn't mean anything. And I was having a really tough time. And I remember thinking, uh, I was hopping in the shower to get uh, ready for work. And I remember thinking, like, you know, maybe I need to reroute again. Maybe this path that I'm on, I've gone so far. And now it's time to think about something that's going to be easier to, to obtain as far as timeline goes and stuff. So maybe I need to go to uh, PA school. And I was going to talk to, to one of the head PAs that I work with. And all of a sudden, I get an email saying that my article was published uh, in, in the magazine. And that was another one of those signs to me that I'm still on the right path. And so. You know whether it's something the magazine did on purpose, or I can't imagine that they did, but it was another one of those indicators that I'm on the right path.
2: I think you have, or you you intend to interview some of those spotlight winners. Um, have you been able to do it up to this point? I did
3: actually. I, I got the, excuse me. I have the uh, student spotlight nominee from July and August, who is a student um, who goes to the university, university of Texas Austin, and it was actually quite interesting, kind of just sitting down and. Uh, Talking to him over over skype, of course and so he was like oh I'm really nervous and it was one of those things like dude I do this all the time it's fine and, and so we just had like a nice little casual conversation he was like oh my gosh I hope I didn't screw everything up I'm so nervous this and that and it was one of those things that, like hey you know don't worry about it but yet like not more than three months ago I was sitting here and like I said it took me almost eight hours to record an episode so it's one of those things that like I was super nervous about it for me in the very beginning and then I'm starting to interview other people and you become more comfortable and now they're the ones that are super nervous and so you kind of are counseling and just relax, it's fine, don't worry about it.
2: <laughs> so my guest on the line is the host of the uh, lostinpremed.org uh, podcast, Will. You can find him on Twitter at lostinpremed and com slash lostinpremed. Um we're talking about his show and, and being in school. And, and uh, so, Will, so why emergency medicine?
3: Well, I think probably, to be honest, uh, it, it's part of being an adrenaline junkie. Um, you can go from absolute calm waters to absolute just chaos in seconds. Um, I Intellectually, I like being able to be given a situation. You have to make a decision uh, as, as quickly as possible. Sometimes someone's life is on the line. Sometimes they're not. Um, And you have to know what you're doing. You have to make a decision uh, to help somebody, and then you can go on from there. Uh, I like emergency medicine in the sense that you're going to see different stuff every day, and so you have to know a lot about a lot of different things in order to be a quality um, practitioner. And then – sorry, go ahead.
1: No,
2: no, I was going to ask you. So, um, so you're in school and you're working now, and how are you trying to balance all of that stuff? Uh, very carefully,
3: I guess, would be. So now, because I am a little bit higher up on the unit list, um, I, I am able to have my work schedule and then kind of create my classes around there. Um, but I think that there's probably only one or two days a week uh, during the, the work week where I'm not going to school and going to work in the same day. So it's it's pretty rigorous, um, but it, it's worth it.
2: Um, and um, I guess that you put on your website now that you're going to try to release maybe two or three episodes a month. Is that is kind of a workflow thing? Is that kind of how you've uh, parsed out your time dividing uh, your uh, podcasting and your work and your school life?
1: Yeah,
3: uh, you know, I, I genuinely enjoy doing the podcasting thing. Uh, so during the summer, when I have a little bit more time, I tried to throw something out every week if I could. Um, before that, before the summer, it was kind of an episode every two weeks or so. Um, now school's starting up, and I'm taking... Uh, uh, what am I taking? Oh, yeah, microbiology and OCHEM. I mean, it, it's very intense stuff, and I really uh, need, need to give it the, the dedication... Uh, that it deserves, or else I'm not. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not doing very well. So instead of going back to the every other week, I would kind of like to have maybe something every ten days or so. Uh,
2: and how close are you to, you know, the application process and all that kind of stuff? Are you close or not really at this point?
1: Yeah,
3: I think that uh, fall goes well this semester. I'll have all the classes that I need uh, done in my post postback to apply. Um, so that I actually haven't. taken my MCATs yet because I'm just finishing up um, my last uh, OCHEM class so uh, probably within the next at the end of this year I'll be ready to apply to med school
1: uh,
2: and, and I don't want to uh, you know press some of your content but uh, what do you, do you what do you tend to do for for your MCAT kind of uh, preparation
3: so as far as what I'm doing now because I'm, I'm not actually like don't have the time to sit down and just bang it out and study three to four hours a day. There's actually a couple apps that I use that throw out a, a couple of questions daily. Um, and so that's one of the things I try to do every single day. Once uh, once it's time to sit down and actually study for MCATs. Um, I've had friends that work for Kaplan and I've had friends that work for Princeton and they both give me their take on it. And it, to me, I'm actually, because I and stuff. That's what I'm going to use. But they say what you need to do is sit down, you need to make a schedule, and you just need to stick to it. Uh,
2: Alright, so um, on that note, um, uh, we will uh, bring this uh, interview uh, to an end here. I want to thank uh, Will uh, for coming on the show here. But before I let you go there, Will, um, Uh, I'd like you to to talk about your podcast a little bit, uh, give a little pitch for it, and uh, if you have any uh, closing thoughts uh, for me or for the listeners, any pre-meds out there uh, uh, to uh, close up the uh, show here uh, today.
3: All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to sit down and talk to you. Um, To me, it's it's always a huge uh, advantage to be able to sit down um, with the intention of answering someone's questions, but then you learning even much more. Uh, from the conversation yourself. So I definitely appreciate you uh, sitting down and, and talking to me and being able to, to share your story. And I also appreciate the, the feedback um, on, on what you've given, given uh, to me in my podcast. Uh, like, it, like you've said many times uh, today, the, the name of the podcast is uh, Lost in Premed. med uh, You can find it on iTunes. You can find it at lostinpremed.org. And like a, my whole goal to this is to really reach out and help out pre-med students. Um, i I know how frustrating it can be trying to go through this whole grind of getting into medical school um between having should should you do work should you do research should you do uh volunteer stuff should you know there's there's all these different variables that people have that things absolutely you should do this no you shouldn't do this um and then not knowing exactly which direction you can turn and sometimes you know you go to your friends but then they're med people too so sometimes it's kind of a conflict of interest on, you know, sometimes they're going to give you good advice and sometimes they aren't. Uh, And and unfortunately, that's a sad thing. But when you have uh, such a huge population competing for such a small spot in a medical school, that's unfortunately how things are. So uh, my whole goal with this podcast is to be a resource to people um, to hopefully answer some questions or, you know, sometimes maybe someone might just be listening uh, on a bad day and, and then you realize, you know, I'm not the only one with this problem. I'm not the only that didn't do well on a test. I'm not the only one that studied for days and days and days, and then I get it back and I have a terrible grade. Um, And so my message to uh, all the pre-meds out there and more than, you know, just uh, anybody in general is that, um, you know, we set our goals in our lives to do certain things, but yet we can't let those things define us. Uh, And what defines us is kind of what we do after that. You you know, we're going to get up, we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're going to keep on pressing on, um, And so that's what my my podcast is about. I try to have uh, a couple episodes out, um, you know, every 10 days or so uh, for you guys to to listen to. And, um, you know, although this is my podcast and it's something that I put on, uh, I'm always welcome to feedback. I'm always welcome to to suggestions. And and if anybody wants to hear or talk about a certain thing, you know, I'd I'd always be glad to listen. And, uh, you know, uh, I've had the opportunity to interview great doctors and um, kind of doing research, I've actually learned a lot more. Um, I've I've learned a lot more just in in how medicine works and stuff like that than I think I've actually uh, been able to convey to those listeners. So uh, thanks again for the interview, and and I really appreciate everything that you've done for me.
2: Oh, yeah, no problem, no problem. Um, uh, What what is your email address for people to reach out to you?
3: It is will, W-I-L-L, 2L, at lostinpremed.org.
2: All right. Very good. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, Best of luck for the podcast. Uh, I know you've put on your website there that uh, your downloads uh, and the response up there has been growing uh, in the past uh, few months. Uh, So best of luck to you. I think it's going to be a great success for you.
3: Thank you very much. I appreciate your support.
2: And uh, we're back live here. So uh, thanks again uh, to my guest on the tonight's show. Uh, uh, it's kind of a uh, an extended show here uh, this evening. Uh, so thank you so much for for hanging with me uh, tonight. Uh, before we go, I do want to give a, one more big uh, shout out to um, uh, you know, to to support um, you know the, those people out there who have suffered. Um, you know, because of uh, Sandy, because of the storm uh, this week. And uh, you can uh, uh, go help out our friends uh, at the Pennsylvania Academy of Family Physicians. Um, and you can go to their link at bit.ly, B-I-T-L-Y, B-I-T dot L-Y, B-I-T dot L-Y slash A-F-P, uh, Sandy. And also our friends at the American Academy of Family Physicians, uh, B-I-T dot L-Y slash A-A-F-P, Relief. Um, and uh, you can leave uh, donations there thanks again to my guest uh here uh, this evening Lisa Fields from uh, uh Practical Wisdom she is uh, uh Practical Wisdom on uh, Twitter um and uh, also uh Will uh, from the Lost in Premed uh podcast lostinpremed.org and uh, apologies again uh, tonight uh, uh we'll have to reschedule with uh, Kevin MD um and uh but he will be uh, coming back on the show here uh, Uh, in in a future episode and we'll also have uh, Lisa Fields back for an extended interview uh, coming up in the next uh, few episodes so thank you so much for for hanging with me Uh, tonight my name is Mike Savilla check out my digital library of stuff um, at at familymedicinerocks.com follow me on Twitter uh, Dr. Mike Savilla and you can also go to facebook.com fammedrocks uh, you can subscribe uh, on iTunes uh, to this show. You can subscribe to my blog post at familymedicinerocks.com, multiple ways to try and find me um, out there. So I'll be on call this weekend, so uh, my tweets will be significantly uh, cut back. Um, and for those of you in the United States, if you have not voted already, please vote. Um, let your voice be heard. I don't care what your political persuasion is um, out there. Um uh, you know there uh you have to uh do your citizenry duty if that's a word um, and uh, vote uh, let your uh, voice be heard and if you don't vote then you can't complain <laughs> so um i already voted already uh, absentee and uh, mailed it in uh, to our board of elections so uh, so please vote uh, if you haven't uh, already uh thanks again for for joining me uh, here this evening i always uh, am humbled uh by uh you people out there who support me who support my social media projects um it is uh you know without you <laughs> without you, I would not be doing any of this um at all so thanks again uh for all the support that, that you have given me uh through the years uh yeah, just uh, follow my uh website FamilyMedicineRocks.com for future shows and my Twitter and my facebook page uh, as well uh thanks a lot for uh, joining me. Uh, and uh, hope you're having a good week. Have a good weekend, and we will all talk very soon. Good night, everybody.
0: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time.
3: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest
1: registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky